Hello and welcome to Time to Unwind by Watch Gecko. My name is Tim, and in this, our first episode, we discussed watch brands having to launch their watches online due to the current climate, some of our favourite releases from the past few weeks, as well as some exciting new additions coming to the Watch Gecko website. We've wanted to set up the Time to Unwind podcast for around a year now, mainly because we're having these sort of chats behind the scenes about the watch industry pretty much all the time. But now felt like the right time to share some of these chats and opinions in a relaxed way, as if we were all sat down together with some watches in front of us. So, with this in mind, sit back and enjoy episode one of Time to Unwind podcast. So, finally, after about a year or so of wanting to do it, maybe a bit longer, we're finally able to get a podcast started. All it really took was the world to be in complete lockdown, but we've done it. Before we go any further, we should probably go around our virtual table and kind of introduce who we've got here. So, John, as, as the owner of Watch Gecko, do you want to kick us off? Uh, hi, I'm John. I'm the owner of Watch Gecko. Uh, we've been in business for about 10 years now, uh, online only retailers of replacement watch straps and a selection of watches. Uh, the blog side of the business has grown over the past few years, um, and this is an extension of of that i i would say ben what about you yeah i'm ben um one of the designers here uh, i mainly do the watch designs and then also um social media and photography and finally anthony hi i'm anthony i do uh writing and pr about watches among many other things and um yeah i'd say that's about it nice <laughs> <laughs> and i'm tim uh i Produce content for Watch Gecko, uh, online marketing as well. Um, and I suppose now I talk about watches on a podcast. I guess that's the thing. Uh, so anyway, at the moment we're recording this during lockdown. Um, obviously, COVID-19 is a thing, um, which is, is quite a big change for all of us. Um, but I imagine the person who's probably felt it the most probably would be you, John. I imagine having a business and suddenly having an empty office is quite different. How are you? How are you finding it? And I, do you know what? It, it was. It's been a bit of a roller coaster, but I think things have settled down now. And I, I'm actually. I think things are. I mean, we've been we've been pretty fortunate because we've been able to stay operational during the whole lockdown time. Um, most of the staff have settled in to working from home really well, um, which is great. Uh, Operationally, we've been able to continue to ship orders out, and orders have continued to come in, which is which is really good. Um, so I feel very fortunate, really. I think we were we were kind of prepared for it in some ways because we were already were using Microsoft Teams um, extensively. So you know that that kind of online instant communication we were doing in the office anyway. So whether you're at home or in the office, if you're communicating with with people in that way, it's kind of the same. Um, yeah, we don't have a shop, so we haven't been forced to close. Mm. Um, we're, we're, we're busy. You know, we're, we've had a good month. April's been really good. Um, yeah, I suppose that's the benefit of, of being online is there's no shop that shuts at five o'clock every day sort of thing. Yeah, no, it's, we're always open. We're always there, it's 24 hours. Um, so, yeah, as long as that stays the same, then everything's great. How about you, Ben? Obviously... You've been here or Watch Gecko for the longest out of all of us, apart from John, obviously. Um, how are you finding working from home? How is it designing watches at home versus in the office? Yeah, I, I think that I don't find it as different as um, you maybe would expect. Uh, obviously, we're able to pretty much completely do all elements of our job just anywhere, mm. just with a computer. Um, so, yeah, the only real change of pace is the much less social interaction um and every day blending into one but as far as actually working goes it's quite good um less distractions you know it's, it's peaceful to be at home and i don't know it's i think it's quite good i'm just able to you know sit down listen to music get on with what i've got to do we've always got uh, teams and zoom and different things like that to be able to still communicate with all of our colleagues and yeah, overall, yeah. I, th I think it's it's been quite good. It's been an interesting experience. Um, and do you find that 
the the environment you're in affects how and what you design or is it a little bit different to that potentially i mean from going to the office at work to sit on my desk at home not so much i mean mm. design is kind of a abstract concept really if i was sat in a natural park maybe it would be different because there'd be different things to take inspiration from mm. but you know as i'm just sat at a desk no it doesn't doesn't seem to affect me too much uh one important thing is to kind of stay in the right mindset and to not get distracted mm. for kind of long periods at a time and that's probably easier from home yeah but yeah, overall it doesn't feel too much different because obviously when i'm in the office if i am designing something i'm just sitting there with my headphones on blasting loud music and you know <laughs> keeping to myself so <laughs> anthony how about you obviously listeners won't know but you're a man who's normally on the road 24 7 really so how, how have you found kind of stopping and staying at home for a quite a long time yeah it's certainly different tim um as you say i'm normally sort of um chasing all over the world uh, one of the other things i do is uh, is formula one uh, along with other forms of motorsport and uh, other clients so that really means that oh, i think i worked it out uh, once and um, in an average year it was something like 150 flights so um, none of them since or about March and uh, I've been sitting here working from home and I've got to say it's not without its positives it's quite nice not to be uh, dashing around thinking when's the next flight have I got a pack have I remembered all my underpants etc etc so it's quite good it's nice to have the time and space as I think sort of Ben was mentioning earlier on to just sort of really focus on things properly without um, you know getting sort of distracted by all the other things that go on in your life so it's it's not without its positives strangely mm. yeah it does help you stay focused doesn't it mm, very much so and um, no I've I'm allowed to say I've quite enjoyed it. Um, you know, it's, it's it's not what most people are saying, but yeah, I think I have quite enjoyed it. Mm, yeah, it's starting to almost feel like the new norm as well. Um, yeah, very much so. And, you know, everyone's sort of around. So in the end, once you sort of got to grips, I mean, we're recording this podcast on Zoom. And um, I wouldn't have known what Zoom was six months ago, basically. But um, things actually work quite well. And mm. even sort of like um, my 75-year-old mum, was using zoom the other day so i think nice. uh, i think absolutely i think expanding sort of their got, customer base yeah 100 percent. i think people have got to grips with it very quickly yeah no zoom are doing all right at the moment i think <laughs> so anyway speaking of online businesses and online stuff that's happening um obviously the watches have, have been something that have been affected by the lockdown and the virus um, but we're still seeing watches released it's now much more online than normally. It's kind of a, a nice split between events and online presence. Um, so the most recent event we had was Watches and Wonders. Uh, and we also saw a few brands that don't normally go to Watches and Wonders do things like webcasts and stuff. So brands like Breitling and Zin and, and, and Oris and stuff, they, they really made the most of their online presence and created their own events to release these models. Um, so... Ben, I'm curious from someone who's been to a few watch shows since being in the industry uh, and you've seen a lot of releases in person. How do you think these new online releases have, have gone? I think it's um, an interesting point for the industry because obviously with most of the, the brands being Swiss, they can be quite conservative in uh, changing things up and, you know, maybe stuck in their ways is a slightly negative sounding way of saying it, but you get the point. Um, and obviously with Baselworld running for, what was it like over a hundred years uninterrupted, I'm pretty sure it ran through World War One and World War Two. Yeah, it was something and like that. For this to bring it to a stop is, you know, it's pretty big for the industry and especially for the brands that have been going consistently for mm. this whole period, like Rolex, potentially, I'm not sure, but you know, there, there could be some brands that have literally been there for as long as the people who are in the company can remember and the people before them. Yeah. So it's also been sprung onto the brands. So these online releases, they won't have had much time to prepare 
So you can kind of tell when you look at how different brands have responded to it and the quality of the content that's being put out is, you know, how, how well the individual, I don't know, management teams of the brands can adapt uh, and know mm. the online space. Elanga and Zorna, for example, they released an exceptional video for the Watches and Wonders release, whereas some other brands like Panerai released something that was really quite strange. Um, Not Anthony's so, beloved Panerai. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. It's, it's an interesting point for the industry. Um, and I think it will allow the industry to potentially grow. But I do fear as well that it might keep the Swiss even more stuck in their ways as right. if they haven't had long enough to prepare, they might see this as somewhat of a failure and then also associate that with on online releases going forward. Mm. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how the industry reacts to this in the coming years. All I do know is that there will definitely be massive changes. I mean, who knows how long Basel Ward is even going to be existing with all of the brands that have pulled out yeah, well, I can't thing, see another one going on, but yeah, well, there's a date in January put in place, and I mean, as soon as that was announced, I I wasn't convinced that that was actually going to be when yeah, the show I mean, was. A rescheduling is a nice way to basically say it's not cancelled. Sorry, you're not having your money back. Yeah, and hence why with their other policies that so many brands like Rolex and you know among a large list of brands have all pulled out. Mm. What do you think about with Watches and Wonders, really? Because that was something in their online release, because that was something that has been spoken about quite for quite a few years at these watch events in person. And obviously, we all understand the importance of a good online presence. Yeah. How do you think that... How do you think it was executed, really, versus what we were all thinking was needed for, for quite some time? It's, it's hard to say. I think it's a good start. It's better than nothing. I mean, Baselworld with the uh, the kind of the movement of the date, etc. With all the brands pulling out, they haven't released anything. It's just brands individually doing it. But Watches and Wonders have tried to keep things central. They've yeah. given a platform to the brands to be able to do something with. Now, I mean, it's not exactly a good platform. They basically made a blog. Yeah, I'll log into and you get press information. Yeah, I was just thinking about that, Anthony. What? Obviously, you've got experience with the car world. Have you found that there's any similarities to the way that the industry for watches is going at the moment versus the car world? A little bit in that um, car manufacturers are tending to sort of pull out of the big shows, mostly for economic reasons. Um, I personally think it's a shame, you know, um, Basel World, Watches and Wonders and Basel World were, were going to be actually the first watch shows that I've been to in person. And I was really, really looking forward to it because... Um, as Ben pointed out, uh, what we got in the end, I mean, they promised us, or, or maybe I was a bit too optimistic, but what I what I read into after it was cancelled, what I read into the communications that came out subsequently was, don't worry, we've got this amazing interactive digital experience for you. It'll just be just like being there. Um, yeah. So I thought, well, okay, you know, let, let's see what it's like. And, you know, as Ben mentioned, really what we got was sort of a website stroke blog with a load of pictures and a few strange videos attached to it. And it wasn't the all immersive digital experience that I'd, uh, I'd, I'd hoped for, but equally, you know, what was I expecting, you know, in something that had obviously been put together by definition in less than a couple of months. Um, so I think it's a little bit of a shame, um, whether it's the car world or the watch world, you can read about things and you can look about photographs, but until you're there and you've seen it and in the case of the watch sort of like held it and looked at it and, and seen it also in the context of everything else you'll always be missing out so if you know more shows are going by the wayside i think it's a great shame because you know you need those physical touch points mm. i believe to really appreciate and to sort of feed your passion as well because um, at the end of the day i think we've got a, a passion for watchers not looking at pictures of watches yeah definitely i think it is interesting though because we potentially look at it from a different standpoint with the fact that if you attend Baselworld, you can only see the watches if you are like pressed really. Mm, that's no true. one can just walk into a booth. So for us, it is a massive shame, but for the people who are actually buying these watches, I don't know how much will have changed. The main thing is that 
the only you know information that we have of the watches the only pictures we have of the watches are all from the brands themselves so all the information is slightly biased the pictures mm. are not you know very real every media outlet kind of has this just has the same things to work with so if yeah. anyone's really interested in buying the watch they they can't really form an opinion too easily without going and seeing it themselves in the future yeah i mean that's renders are great and everything but if you want to try yeah. and make an informed purchase based on a render it's it's quite tricky you want you want to be able to consume content from the guys that were there on the ground seeing the watch in person and, and actually having their thoughts as well as the information provided by a brand yeah exactly and I, th I think that will have more of an impact on you know the higher end brands where you know more affordable watches people could maybe take a chance on or or know what to expect from the brand but with these like five or six figure watches they're so unnecessary that you kind of need the whole song and dance to go with it of the, the big event and you know collectors will have been invited and mm. different things like that so yeah i'm sure some higher end independent brands will be negatively affected by all this that's absolutely true because i think if you look at you know the more expensive end of the market whether it's cars or watches you need the drama um when yeah. a watch is launched when anything is launched um you want it to be this element of drama this dramatic unveiling everyone crowded around trying to get the first glimpse i mean if sort of like i don't know any of us were fortunate to have bought i've no idea a ferrari or something would be um would be a little bit peeved if the dealer said well the first thing um, i'm going to do is send you a little youtube style video of it and then you can look at it and then <laughs> pick it up in a month's time um it's it's not what you want you need that sort of like breathless moment oh, oh my god that's it and it's in front mm. of me and it's real right now and and i just found that the sort of the online experience just by nature is, is distancing it's sort of sanitized so um yeah I, I think it's a massive shame personally but equally you know everyone's got economic realities to face up to yeah but it does open up the chance of you know let's say basil world comes to a death brightling have showed us that these brands can host their own events and go around and do these things and they can still be just as good but they can be more tailored towards the customer rather than just for the press or just for the people that are in the industry so i think there could be some opportunity for exciting development mm. for the brands that can plan it out well and you know know what they're doing and through all these independent events they should be able to communicate their values as a brand and, and show their strengths more yeah. so than just having a booth, uh, uh, you know, a, a big show that everyone else is, is all around. Yeah, I think Breitling are a really good example there. Um, I, I think they're the main brand that have done an online launch recently uh, through their webcast summit that I just think was, was really polished. Yeah. Um, so how did that compare to the Watches and Wonders stuff? Um, so the Watches and Wonders videos felt, or watching ones in general felt very much like, like you said, really, that, that they were being told you need to put this is the sort of stuff you need to put together um, and upload here, sort of thing. Whereas, whereas the Brightling video was you're sat in a room with George Skern and he's telling you exactly about the new watches, why they've done them. You're seeing a little preview video, almost like Anthony was saying when you, when you walk into the booth and you kind of get that Brightling experience. They, they delivered that really well across in a video. Um, and you then get to see the watches after. So yeah, the only thing that was really missing from that experience was was literally getting hands on, hands on with the watches and being able to talk to the brand reps in person and take your pictures. Um, but I mean, they're, they're one of the best I've seen so far. Uh, we haven't seen that many. Uh, Zin did one uh, a few weeks ago that was that was pretty good. That was nice and polished and had a similar sort of feel. Um, that was much more. Well, that was live, so we you could you could ask questions as it was going on, which was quite nice. Um, and we've seen Zenith; they they're doing a few stuff on Instagram, um, but they're and they're very much just still launching their watches through press releases. Um, so I'm curious to hear what John thinks about all this. Um, I think out of all of us, you've been in the industry the longest. I think you've been online talking about watches probably for the longest how do you all think this has been executed based on the converse, conversations we've had over the years of this needs to happen it needs to be more online um yeah I, so I, I realized well i felt that the the industry would need to be kind of pushed into it so it, it needed something like this to to happen to, to to sort of force that change and we've 
you know, we've, we've seen with the whole online retail thing that, you know, if we use uh, the like Protect Philippe as an example, you know, they said we will never offer our watches for sale on the internet. The customer needs the one-to-one experience, wherever it was that they were saying mm. about it. And then, you know, obviously this happens and the retailer is saying to them, look, you know, if you want to sell your watches, we need, you know, you need to let us sell them online. Um, and so they, they have done it. Um, you know, same, same with Brightling, I suppose, really, with, with the, that um, comment that he made about, you know, we spent five million at Puzzle World and we tried the online thing and spent five grand um, and we've had better, you know, it, it, it needs, yeah. somebody needs to, it needs, there needs to be an event or somebody needs to show. I mean, I, I know it's not exactly the same, but they, I read an article about, um, this, you know, the cinemas being closed and there was a film and I can't remember the name of the film, but they did it as a, as a streaming release and they'd made more money in two weeks than they made on the previous film in five months or something at the, at the no. box office. And it, but they would never have tried that, I don't think, because you know the the cinemas are there, lobbying, so telling the, the studios, you know, you need us, you need to give us that first shout. And you know, what happens in the future after that? After now, I, I I don't really know. I think you know the it'll probably be a mix. So I think the the, the day of the big the big show like Basel World, I think that has gone. I, I I can't see that coming back now. I think it's it's too late now. Um, so smaller, more frequent some regional shows to some extent might be mm. more the kind of thing and we have kind of seen that coming a little bit with um some of the things in in the states haven't we with Hodinki have done some events and uh worn and wound do some meetup type events mm. uh you know I, I guess the you know the, the watches and wonders and uh SIH, that's kind of what that was i suppose really it's like a break off smaller version of, mm. of that whole big big show but i i can't see buzzer world ever coming back to in the same kind of way that it that it was i think that's had its day yeah it's certainly going to need a break if it does yeah. want to come back and and be much more like sahh and watching wonders was yeah they were very much i mean they were just for the press and journalists and stuff but they were very like user focused at on the day mm-hmm. like adding real value there mm. I remember talking to a, a rep um, a few years ago about the future of retail, and and he felt that the the, the days of watching jewelry retail in its current form were, were were very much numbered. People still want to have that hands-on time with the watch, but whether they they need to buy it from their local retail store, he he felt that wasn't the case. People are comfortable buying things online, so that whole online, I think it's a combination of the two. And what you, what he was proposing was brands would have a showroom. And you know, so there would maybe be one or two in the country. It's a showroom. It's got the full range, a bit like a, like the Apple Store, if you use that as an example. Mm-hmm. And you can go in there, and yeah, you can buy it there. You can touch the product, you can see the product, you can ask about it. But you can also buy online as well. And 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 the brands just need to wake up and and um, like, you know accept that the world's changed. People are happy buying things online. The internet yeah. isn't necessarily bad. And that's not to say that the retail experience is dead or the the show experience is dead. Um, but there, there is a new future and it you know it, it, it's the internet basically yeah well fortunately a few of those brands have actually woken up and and release models um yeah. one of the newest releases that, that comes to mind um is the zenith a384 in shadow so now anthony oh, yeah. you've you've had a look at this piece i have yeah i loved it yeah do you want to let us know a, a little bit about it yeah, I love this watch because, um, I mean, I've always been a big fan of Zenith anyway, but um, it's got a great story behind it. Um, it was uh, it was discovered, uh, or rather the original 1970 prototype was discovered in, in an attic in Zenith HQ. Um, at the time, Charles Vermont, who um, was at Zenith at the time, he was scared that the days of mechanical watchmaking were over so he squirreled away all sorts of things including the El Primero movement and a few prototypes and one of the prototypes that emerged was this one and what they found what Zenith found um, in, in a box just apparently in a box in the attic was um, was this prototype watch um, it's uh, basically it was black steel so steel uh, which had been blackened 
41 millimeter and um, it was just a, a great great looking watch um, never officially sold although bizarrely one actually sort of surfaced on her dinky which was quite odd mm. um, for, uh, for not that much money I for think. not that much money i think I people really didn't really surprised. well i was surprised when i saw that and, and i think people just didn't know what it was and who knows if it's even real you know it's mm. I, I was really really surprised but anyway what they found was this 41 millimeter steel watch and they thought well what was the intention? What what was the sort of idea behind this? And 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 I think what you know the creator wanted to do at the time, because of course you know there was no such thing as sort of monochrome watches in the sort of early 1970s. It was you know at the time people were sort of like much more into colours, much more into polished metals. Um, so you know the idea of a sort of black black watch was was quite unusual then. Um, so what they did was they took that concept and they brought it up to date. Um, it's now smaller, it's 37 millimeters, which of course is the same uh, uh, size as the uh, A384 El Primero Revival, which I was fortunate enough to borrow a few weeks ago. Fantastic watch that as well. Um, the, um, the A384 was of course the first watch to wear the El Primero movement, and that same movement is now found in the Zenith Shadow Revival. Um, but it's got a very different look to it. It's basically the titanium means that it's grey on black it's an absolute monochrome watch and i think it just looks stunning so for me it sort of like i said at the beginning it ticks all the boxes it's a really really nice looking watch it's the right size i like 37 millimeters watches um and um it's got a great story and tradition behind it and what i love about zenith is not only do they make beautiful watches but they tell fantastic stories yeah. um you know the many sort of like companies in the the industry they sort of like rely and I can completely understand on their sort of technical excellence but if you're someone who likes good stories as well as a good watch and you want to feel that your watch is really part of a tradition this is really really exciting you know to basically have a watch which is not a recreation because it's very different but a re-evocation of an idea that was tucked away in an attic in 1970 because its creator was so scared that if he left it out, the new owners would just destroy it and all trace of his work. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I also, re what I really like about this watch was how it was 41 mil back in the 70s or whatever, and now it's 37 mil in 2020. I thought just thought that was really cool. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. The same size, of course, as the uh, the El Primero revival, as we we're, we're, as, as we were saying earlier. But it's, mm -hmm. it's stunning. What, what did you think, Ben? I think it's really cool. Um, I really like the kind of dual colored dial where they're mixing a really dark gray with the black and the dark gray more matches the titanium shade. So I think it's got more of a, a sporty and definitely more of a modern look to it than the previous version. One thing that I did notice, which is slightly strange, is that in with this watch being quite minimalistic in style, they've not put any minute markers or seconds markers on the dial even though it's a chronograph. So oh, okay. you yeah. can use the chronograph for the outer scale, which if I remember correctly was a, a tachymeter. Yeah. Um, but to accurately time the seconds, you, you can't, which mm. looks cool, but Good point. I'm, I'm not sure. That's amazing. Do you know what? I've just noticed that now. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. I didn't notice it on my first look. I, I saw it in a, in a comment actually on, on one of the articles about it. I just thought, strange decision. Mm. But yeah, interesting. I think this is but a really I, cool release because it looks, it looks completely different to the, the A384 revival yeah. that Anthony spent some time with recently. Like, and I know obviously we're looking at it through a computer screen, but if, they, if those two were next to each other, I, I do really think that they would look like completely different watches. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it kind of brings that but it brings the, the vintage reissue concept more towards the like mixing retro with modern. And I think, mm. I mean, hopefully the leaving off the minute markers and the seconds markers uh, was intentional that they realize that that is a kind of conflict of interest with having a chronograph. Um, but I think that it could be a statement of the kind of unnecessary factor of a watch. So it's, it's kind of, bringing that tool element round fully into just being a style thing, mm. which for some people will sound like the worst thing. I don't know that they've ever heard and they'll hate it, but it, yeah, it is indicative of times and kind of shows a bit of progression if they were a, thinking of that way. 
There was a quote I read from George's Kearns recently. Again, we're going back to him, where he said that there's a huge difference between being cool and vintage and being retro and modern. Yeah, and I thought I that, that might. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I think there's a lot of a lot can be learned from that, especially from from the watch industry. Mm. There's a case in point there. Going back to what we were talking earlier on, you see, if we'd uh, if if we have that's the disadvantage of online watch shows. If we'd been at a show, and you know, we would have asked a brand representative about that point, and yeah. uh, probably sort of like would know what the answer was by now. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, or would have yeah, and being able to wear watches as well, not just like hands-on time is in seeing it in front of you but when we get a watch for review and we're able to live with it for a week as well then you pick up on different things that you know that you wouldn't be able to know just from a press release and definitely not just from a rendering it is so much different handling a watch and spend it i mean yeah if we're fortunate we get to spend time with watches before we get to write our thoughts on them but yeah it, it's the times when you're not expecting to pick up on little details about a watch that, yeah, it's that just when you living do with it, really hit it? home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just seeing it out of context sometimes. That, yeah, that point does make it slightly, I guess, worrying for certain brands with the online release um, structure because mm. you know if renderings are bad, hands-on time also isn't perfect. And then you know, living with the, with a watch is is the ultimate goal. And because we're so far away from that now. It mm. might be a while before these brands see, I don't know, their expected purchases actually rolling in. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, there's one brand that comes to mind when you say about being unsure about a watch through a computer screen. Um, and that was a conversation I had with John in regards to Panerai from Watches and Wonders. I know you had some, uh, some thoughts on their new releases. What do you think, John? Um, I, well, I wasn't as keen as Anthony was. <laughs> well, I, I really like them, but go on, Joe, go on. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm just trying to think. I'm just trying to use polite words, really. Um, uh, Anthony, why don't you set him up and then John can counter your points? I, I feel that I'm being set up for a, a, a fall here, basically. I think I think this is a, a good old-fashioned stitch-up. No, um, I know we discussed this earlier on, and uh, myself and John, let's say, had uh, had differing views on this. Now, I really like Panerai watches. That's not to say that I'm a huge fan just automatically of big, oversized dive watches. But there's something, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I like the whole story behind Panerai. I like the fact that they supplied the Italian Navy, and I like the fact that they were always a research laboratory as well. And in terms of the sort of research, this is why I really like the, um, and I'll tell you the exact name of the, uh, um, of, of the one I liked most, was the, the new Lumina, the, um, the, the one which is very, very shiny indeed, uh, which I can't find now. We're we talking Lumina case. Exactly, yeah. Um, uh, uh, um, this is, this is always the way you have something perfectly set up and then it disappears on the iPad. Um, let's look at the Lumina Marina Fibrotech. There's one of them. But the point is the looms, of course, this was the ultimate expression of their, um, of their looms, um, which is what Panerai is known for anyway. And they managed to find a degree of luminosity again through the result of a very uh, complex process that's never been seen before in a dive watch. Um, there's a fantastic photograph, which is the one I was looking for, which is, you'd never normally look at a watch with the, with the lights off, but there's a fantastic photograph of the watch in uh, silhouette with the lights off, and all you see are the looms. There's of course also the same luminous stitching on the mm. strap as well. And I think there's something magical about it, and it just reminds me of, of being a kid and having my first digital watch, and watching it light up in the dark. I thought, you know, this is somehow some form of alchemy, although it's sort of like really straightforward. Now, in the case of, um, in the case of, uh, of Panerai, it really is alchemy because you know this is a is essentially radiation, isn't it? You know, it's coming from out of nowhere, um, and the fact that they've been able to do this to an extent that they have. I just think it's fantastic. It's a real, real statement watch, which is probably what John dislikes, um, but um, I really like it. And John, <laughs> counter to that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I quite like the gold tech. Uh, right. I'm, I'm looking at the other ones. I'm just trying to find something that I like. So the... Yeah, that Goltech's nice. I don't think that color scheme. It's 44 millimeters. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of right, isn't it? You, I think <laughs> you just go like you kind of, yeah, yeah. You know. um, the the loom thing, I no, I'm still, I, I, you know, I've slept on it for a few days since we last discussed it, and I'm looking at it again, and I just can't take it seriously, unfortunately. Um, so I, no, I don't. <laughs> I like it. Um, the I, I don't know how, how to pronounce that, but the Echo Pangea is it? Is that uh, that's that's a bit over the top, admittedly. You know. Yeah, I mean that that just doesn't. I don't know. No, the, so the only one really is is that Goldtech. I think um, the Lunarossa that doesn't really do anything for me. I don't think I. Like I liked it. that Echo Pangea. <clears throat> really? I thought it was. I thought it was cool. I mean, it's 50 mil, which is... It's 50 millimetres. Yeah, but if you, if you look at the design, I, I thought it was kind of cool. Like, it's different Tim, for Panerai. Tim, you just want to go on a trip to the Arctic with yeah, Mike that, Horn, Yeah, that'd be you? pretty cool. Because, be of course, um, we should explain that what we thought was that Panerai are apparently giving away a trip to the Arctic with, with Mike... Is it with Mike Horn? I guess it's with Mike Horn. I think Horn. so, yeah. You don't want to go on your own to the Arctic. Yeah, better you might get lost. Grand. <laughs> yeah, it says it says you get to go with him. I've actually got one question though, because the Eco Pangea, the reason why it's called that, it was made using um, steel from the drive shaft of um, Mike Horn's yacht, which is called a Pangea. So, how's he going to take you to the Arctic if bits of his yacht are in your watch? That's a good point. That's why you need to be there, so we can I take them so. back. Yeah, Maybe yeah, I guess that's why. Slot the watch into various holes. To be fair, looking at it, that that might well be the case. Um, now, in, in in terms of, it's quite interesting that we're talking about that watch because, in terms of that, I do definitely agree with John. That is sort of unnecessary, and um, I don't like it because it, it it sort of goes against the grain of what Panerai is for me. You know, that's not the sort of watch that Panerai should produce. And can can you honestly imagine taking that thing on an Arctic expedition? No. You know, it's no. not really. Yeah. I'm the opposite to everyone now. I, I was sat on the fence with your loom comments, John and Anthony, but I, I don't know. I just think it's kind of cool. It's different. I mean, not not for that price, obviously. I know if I had that money, it wouldn't. Go Which on is, by the way, for the record, one hundred ninety thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. No, now you said that it doesn't help the case, does it? <laughs> You've reminded everyone. <laughs> um. So, kind of going from Panerai from one to watch brand to another. Um, Zinn also released a few watches recently. This was outside of Watches and Wonders. They held their own uh, webcast, uh, which we were invited to, uh, which was great to see. And it looks like this year they're focusing on, rather than introducing lots of new models, kind of refining what they've already got and appealing to customers that might have a smaller wrist. So I think the main watch that was released that we were all talking about uh, was the Zin U50. Uh, this is uh, this is a model we've had before, but this is now in 41 mil uh, with a thickness. Uh, oh God, this, is it around 11 mil or 12 mil or something like that? It's a it, basically it's a very wearable size, um, and you've got it on the red strap, the bracelet, uh, or a rubber strap, uh, and there is a stainless steel bezel version with a black PVD case as well. Um, that, for me, this is this is what Zin does like perfectly well these yeah. real real tool watches that you can wear that, that genuinely will survive anything i mean it's made from german steel german submarine steel yeah uh bead blasted finish uh the, the, i think the, the examples they start from 1900 euros so yeah. i mean compared to what else there's on the market i mean that's such a such an attractive watch for a price tag that is equally as attractive yeah, it's a great um, proposition, isn't it? Yeah, as in kind of, they've always been like that. And I think they kind of always will, really. There's, there's such appeal there. So I'm going to show my ignorance to some extent now. So it, are these the oil-filled ones then that you can see that the dial really clearly underwater? Is that one of these? Uh, I, I think those, Ben, are those the ones with the AR technology, is it? Is it AR? I think it's something like that, isn't it? Uh, that technology, wasn't that? A gas isn't the oil filled thing new? No, they've had the oil filled out for a while. I remember seeing them a few years ago at Bar, and it, it, there's like right. no reflection at all. You know, from whatever angle you look at the the watch dial, it's just it's just there. It's like yeah, it's like the um, on the glass. I don't know how to pronounce it. The but I didn't know whether that full range. Was, yeah, yeah, it's like that. Yeah. yeah, 
Uh, this is a, a good example of what we were talking about earlier. Is it's a shame we can't see them in person and be able to get concrete evidence on that because yeah, I think releases like that you really need to see in person to to understand yeah kind of everything that it's about. So yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a shame we can't. Like yeah. hydro, they call it. Right. Is that, but I don't know whether all of these um, that range, and I don't know, I'm sure I'm I don't know what that range is called. Is it U? Are they, they're all U something, are they? Yeah, so it's either U50 yeah. or U another number referring oh, right, to U1. Yeah. Okay, yeah. U1, U2. Yeah, okay. yeah I, I suspect they are because that, that style of watch, that's definitely the one that had that technology. So I suspect maybe they are. I'll have a look on the website and I'll confirm before the end of the podcast. I will confirm that situation. Cool. Um, so the, the next watch sim released was the 1739 ST. Uh, this is a smaller, well, it's not, not that, it's not a release that you'd expect from Zinn really when you first think of them. Uh, it's a 39 mil dress watch uh, in, I think it's in three dial versions. Um, and I think it's one of those, that, yeah, literally, if you remove the brand from the dial, I don't know if Zinn would be one of the first you'd, you'd expect to see, really. Do you see um, Do you see the 1970s in that watch? I, I love it because I think it's got a nice nod to the 1970s, but I agree. I, I wouldn't see that as uh, as being a, a Zinn watch at all. It's, it's much more of a sort of like classic uh, dress watch, but I do like the Frankfurt version, the Heimat version. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so that's kind of got like a almost like champagne colored dial. They're um, very different of those models. Yeah, they are. Yeah, there is also the silver dial one. Um, but yeah, they they are they are very different. I like that. That's this is actually the first time I've seen it. I like the tapering outwards of the hands. It's quite. It's, yeah, it's, the, the, it's the small details that really make a, a classic dress watch. And I don't know. It seems to be well executed. Mm. I like the size. It is. Do we know the thickness? Uh, not off the top of my head. No. Pass. Okay. Do we know the movement? The SW301. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. I would have liked to see it manual wind, potentially. Yeah, that would have been cool. Um, but yeah. But again, that one's 1,890 euros. So, again, a, a, is Zin being Zin, a really good price point that, that will suit a lot of wrists, really. The... Do, do you know why I like the high map with the um, the diamonds? That's apparently in the Frankfurt City Shield, mm. and those diamonds are also found on uh, cider glasses from the area, which is really odd because I thought everyone there drank beer. <laughs> Every now and then they have a cider just to change right. it up. <laughs> <laughs> the, the final watch we saw from Zinn was the five five six, so this actually isn't really much different to what they've done before. Uh, Zim was saying on their webcast that they got they do get a lot of requests for uh, unique changes to their watches per customer and retailer and that sort of thing. And and one they get a lot is the red seconds hand. So they thought, well, instead of fulfilling loads of custom orders, let's let's introduce this to the range, which is what we see here. So it's basically the same, what, exactly what you'd expect from Zim. We go from something you wouldn't expect to back to classic Zim. Um, and it's 38.5 mil case. Uh, it's now got the red seconds hand. Um, it's, it's, again, it's 960 euros. Like the, the value is, is really good there. And this one is mm. the Sleater SW200. They yeah, accept custom orders. Um, yeah, I don't know to what extent that is. It was mentioned on, on the webcast. Um, it might be, I don't know, maybe, maybe just for certain retailers, maybe, mm. or VIP customers, that sort of thing. That's quite interesting. Nice watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice watch though. I like it. Mm. So to, to update on the oil filled thing then, so that, that one that we were talking about earlier on that U fifty, it isn't oil filled. Uh the oil filled ones are the UX series and there's a few of them on the diving section, but the none of those U ones I don't think uh, okay. are like the U one, the U two, they're they're not so I mean, you, you probably don't need it. You've got really large hands that are just, they're, they're huge on the dial. I can't imagine it's, legibility is an issue. Um, well, no, it's, it's not that. It's the, it's the reflection. So I'd, uh, you, right. it's what, what you've, 
it's if, if you've never uh, taken a, a watch underwater and, and looked at it and tried to read the time you probably wouldn't quite get what the issue is but it, it from us basically the glass turns into a mirror on a normal watch mm -hmm. if you have it at any kind of angle um, and if, on the sin website there's a good little graphic and it kind of shows you it but with the oil filled it, it just takes all that away and so it's perfectly legible from any angle but in outside of the water it also does change the way that the um, the face appears mm -hmm. um, and it, it it's it's quite cool it, it does look different it's quite noticeable yeah um, so I if i was to buy one that's i'd go with one of those just because it's a bit of a party trick kind of thing really have you actually dived with a dive watch john are you a diver don't be daft no. yeah. i just want to see <laughs> I've, I've never never tried diving at all but i really like dive watching dive watches so i almost think it's worth learning to dive just to wear your dive watch just on the water. It. i think it should go the other way around really shouldn't it but mm. you know i'd feel i don't know I'd, I'd feel a bit nervous about it still but um, normally people buy accessories for their hobby and isn't it yeah yeah I don't think it's normal to actually have an accessory and then decide to take up the hobby but never mind that's true <laughs> if um if going in a swimming pool in Greece counts then I've been diving with my watches is that counts is that, that counts okay cool that 100 counts in fact I've not even done that recently so I think I might just sort of find a dive watch and get in the bath with one tonight <laughs> <laughs> give it a go it'll be right as close as I'll get to it it's uh, so to, to end things, I thought it'd be quite good, John, if you wanted to talk a little bit about the brand Delma uh, and also Favrelubra. All right, yeah, okay. Uh, which would you like me to do first, Delma's first? Uh, yeah, let's kick off with Delma. Uh, okay. Um, so Delma is a brand which we've just started to cover on the WatchGecker website fairly recently. Um, and I'm just trying to think now, have we, I don't think we've actually published any of our own articles yet have we Tim? not yet been working on one of new which is going to go live pretty soon mm -hmm. um so we've, we've got a few watches that are in for review um we were impressed with what we saw and we've decided to try selling them so we've we've been working on the website we've got a section set up um we're going to retail some of the watches um which isn't something that we would normally do but that's what we've decided to do with this brand mm -hmm. um it's a Swiss company, not very well known, I don't think really in the UK, 95-year-old um, family-owned business. Um, value orientated, I would say, to some extent. Um, not sure exactly the average selling price, probably high hundreds, I would say, sort of seven or eight hundred pounds, that kind of money. There are, there are some cheap ones, there are some more expensive ones. Uh, predominantly sports watches, so it's... Um, Divers watches, professional divers watches, um, and sort of adventure piloty kind of watches. Mm. Um, there's a few brand ambassadors that they've got on board, uh, which have done some fairly cool things uh, with the watches. And we have written about one of those on the website. Uh, I can try and find the article. So there's a limited edition watches, uh, the watch that they've done um, in relation to an Arctic expedition um which was pretty cool uh 200 piece limited edition so quite a few of the delmore watches are, are just are made in limited edition so the one that you've got that you're doing the review of that bronze one that's a 500 piece limited edition mm. yeah um, this is a good looking watch yeah it's it's cool so we, we were a bit concerned weren't we about the case size initially um but i think the wearability of them is is really good certainly you know for that case size of watch um so we're the listings will go live, the e-commerce listings will go live in a couple of weeks, I think, when the watches come in. Um, and so, yeah, we're really interested to see some more models from that range and to see mm. how, how they're received by our customers. Um, Definitely. Yeah, so Nick Maloney was the name of the brand ambassador who went to the Arctic. So he, he went... Um, it was earlier on this year uh, to, to commemorate the discovery of the Antarctic 200 mm -hmm. years ago. And so is the 200 piece limited edition um, Delma watch. It's called the Ocean Master. Yeah, that one's cool. Um, Antarctica limited edition. Yeah. So for 200 piece limited edition, Swiss made watch for about a thousand pounds. I think it's maybe a little bit more than that, but it's not much more. That might be 1200. Um, I think that's, and it's a good looking watch as well. I think that's a real... Yeah, real bargain, really. That comes back to what Anthony was saying earlier with the 
emphasis on a really good story behind watches. That's yeah. that's almost what sells a watch as much, if not more, than a design or or how something wears if it's so strong. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other brand, Favre Luba, is a brand which most people probably wouldn't have heard of, I don't think. Um, but it's the, uh, the the second oldest Swiss watch brand still available for sale. Mm. Um, and so they've got a 283-year history, which is incredible, really. Wow. Um, yeah. Uh, so it's not still in the same ownership. It was family-owned, I think, for the vast majority of that time, but the Quartz Crisis, you know, which affected almost all of the, the brands that are still around today, you know, that, that shook things up quite a bit and it, it changed ownership a few times. It's now actually owned by the Indian company Tatar, uh, who also own Tetley Tea, of all things. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's Swiss run. Um, so they're made in Switzerland, Swiss made watcher, Swiss brand, Swiss run, uh, Swiss team behind it, but with Indian tea bag money uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but they, again, are the same kind of focus, I would say, as, as Delmas, really. So sports watches, adventure watches, mm. diving, expedition kind of thing. And, and there are a few world firsts that they um, c- can claim. You know, there are some claims to fame. Um, I'm just yeah, definitely. remember the name of the watch that had something in it, which was very impressive. So again, we are going to stock these. Um, so they'll be on the website soon. Um, yeah, that's um, probably worth mentioning, actually. Uh, everything we've spoken about today is all available in more detail on the website. The so we will leave links to stuff where we can in podcasts. Uh, or if not, it's just on watchgecko.com. Um, before we wrap up, I thought it'd be worth... Obviously, we've had a few weeks of watch releases. Um, I thought it'd be worth that we all go around again our little virtual table and choose one highlight from everything we've seen for the past few weeks. So, Ben, do you want to kick things off? Yeah, sure. Um, so, excuse the butchery of the French language, but um, <laughs> my favorite watch and watches come from Hermes. Um, the number one spot is taken by the Slim de Hermes GMT. So this is a range uh, that's not new, but this colorway and in this uh, gold as well is new. Um, I just think the watch is amazing from a design standpoint. I, I love the custom font that was designed for this range. Um, the, the nuances that are, can be found in this font are just amazing. It's also consistent throughout all the subdials. So it packs a, a lot of detail in such a small area. Um, the watch is playful and it has just an amazing contrast of different finishes, different levels on the dial. Then you've also got the usability of the GMT function, which you know is, is pretty useful uh, in everyday life, not necessarily during lockdown, but yeah, I think it's really cool. Uh, and also the introduction of the gradient around the edge, I think is really interesting. It definitely brings it forward. Mm. And just continues the range to evolve into more modern days. Um, and then also with honorable mentions, there is the, um, I have no idea how to say this, Arcule Lecure de la Lune. Perfect. Uh, yeah. Um, that is a watch which is definitely worth everyone looking more into. Uh, oh, definitely. Essentially with, you know, two, two small dials, one for date, one for hours and minutes. Um, and they both move around on the dial, the same as the, uh, the, the moon phase with the double moons moves moves around. Yeah, definitely um, need to see that one. That's yeah, definitely this is not a watch site. that I can explain um, well in a short amount of time. So I just encourage everyone nice. to go look at it because it is amazing. John, I have a feeling you might not say Panerai, but what were your what's been a highlight for you over the past few weeks? Um, I I liked reading your article about that Chapek. Actually, the, oh yeah, uh, that was cool. Uh, Kaida. Burge, is that how you pronounce it? I have no idea. Um, but that that's pretty impressive, that dial. Um, really interesting. I wouldn't normally be one for a, a small seconds at a weird offset position, but you know, I do I do quite like that, actually. And I, you know, I could imagine it being a real talking point. Mm. Um, that's, I think that, that one's a unique piece. So uh, Yeah, well, that's the thing. Get, isn't you, it? get your name in. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really cool watch. 
Yeah, I it's a good looking piece. Not, I haven't read about it, but the lift up your hearts text on the dial does uh, kind it's, of devalue it to me. Where it's it very traffic. Yeah, looks so nice and so nicely executed, and I don't know if the text becomes cheapens it a bit. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Overall, it does look really cool, but I mean, obviously, massively expensive and it's unique. But had this been a more accessible watch, that would be a point which would make me not buy it. All right, well, we have to rule you, rule you off the list then. That's a shame. Yeah, I'll, I'll take the name off. Um, for me, my, my one highlight would probably be uh, what JLC did with the Master Control range. Uh, I think they released some really good watches there. The, the Master Control range is something that, well, I think once you look at, almost with hindsight, really, you realize that it does actually look quite dated. Um, but the introductions they made recently, I think, look really good. Um, it still it reminds me of, like, 50s Rolex when they were making like perpetual calendars and like oyster cases and stuff that just look so cool and like ridiculously unique at the moment. Um, yeah, they're they're definitely worth looking at. And all things considered, they're not ridiculously priced. So I definitely recommend having a look at the website on those. Uh, Anthony, to end things up, what was your highlight? Um, I'm not sure it was a highlight in terms of being my favourite watch, but one I would have liked to have seen would have been the Piaget Altiplano Ultimate Concept, simply because I think you have to see a watch that's two millimetres thick. It's absolutely incredible. Um, as I think I mentioned with the sort of the, the Panerai Illumina I liked, um, I quite like these superlatives. So um, the Panerai you look at in an, unusual con in an unusual context with the lights off, and this you also look at in an unusual context because you want to look at it from the side yeah. first. And some of the figures are incredible. So, um, so two millimeters thick. And do you know how thick the crystal is? Just 0.2 millimeters. Um, you do not want to drop that watch. You don't want to drop that watch. I mean, they say it's sort of meant to be sort of quite robust, but I find that um, quite hard to believe. Um, the way they described it was from a micro engineering experiment to reality. And um, yeah, they've ended up with also this sort of uh, incredible sort of like uh, thin movement where in fact the case back doubles as the movement main plate. Um, and yet they've also managed to get a 40 hour power reserve in there as well. So just in terms of technical accomplishment, I take my hat off to them. Is it a watch you'd want to wear every day or even once? I'm not so sure, but I'd love to have seen it. Does anyone want to guess the price on that watch? Because I found out recently. No idea, but you know, I figure if you have to ask, then. Ben, what do you think the price is? Without looking. Christ. Um, how many are they making? Uh, I think it's on a almost not a first come first, so, but it's you, you can like completely personalize it yourself. So they won't is be it, making Is it limited to. All oh, right, okay. Uh, I don't know. This is hard because <laughs> obviously this watch has kind of existed before, but you could never. I, yeah, it just does concept. Um, oh, it's going to be ridiculous, isn't it? I don't know. Say, I'll say 500k, but I okay. don't know if that's miles too low or miles too high. <laughs> John, what do you think? Ultra thin Piaget concept. Ben's gone high, I'll be honest. Yeah, I, I've no idea. I'm not really that up on Piaget's really. Um, 100,000. Anthony? Um, well, sort of, I'm going to go for a bit more than that. I'm going to go for 180. So I read somewhere that it was £330,000. Oh my God. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> if you want ultra thin watches, maybe just stick with Swatch for now. Yeah, um, I th I we think can work up to a Piaget. Tim, that makes your Eco Pangea look like a brilliant deal because not only are you only spending, you're spending less than 200 grand on that and you get an Arctic exploration adventure thrown in. I don't yeah. think Piaget are giving you anything aside from a tiny, tiny watch. <laughs> well, there we go. It's come full circle. Cool. Um, I think we should probably leave it there. Um, thank you all for jumping on a call and having a chat. Um, I'll let you all get back to your normal, normal work. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Time to Unwind podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear some feedback. So please leave your ratings of the show through your podcast app and be sure to reach out on social media at WatchGecko with your thoughts. Thank you for listening and we are going to be doing a lot more of these in the future. So stay tuned for the next one.